Young Johnson joins the field trip west. William Jason Tertullius Johnson, the elder son of Philadelphia shipbuilder Silas Johnson, entered Yale College in the fall of 1875. According to his headmaster at Exeter, Johnson was gifted, attractive, athletic, and able. But the headmaster added that Johnson was headstrong, indolent, and badly spoilt, with a notable indifference to any motive save his own pleasures. Unless he finds a purpose to his life, he risks unseemly decline into indolence and vice. Those words could have served as the description of a thousand young men in late 19th century America. Young men with intimidating, dynamic fathers, large quantities of money, and no particular way to pass the time. William Johnson fulfilled his headmaster's prediction during his first year at Yale. He was placed on probation in November for gambling, and again in February after an incident involving heavy drinking and the smashing of a New Haven merchant's window. Silas Johnson paid the bill. Despite such reckless behavior, Johnson remained courtly and even shy with women of his own age, for he had yet to have any luck with them. For their part, they found reason to seek his attention, their formal upbringings notwithstanding. In all other respects, however, he remained unrepentant. Early that spring, on a sunny afternoon, Johnson wrecked his roommate's yacht, running it aground on Long Island Sound. The boat sank within minutes. Johnson was rescued by a passing trawler, asked what happened, he admitted to the incredulous fisherman that he did not know how to sail, because it would be so utterly tedious to learn. And anyway, it looks simple enough. Confronted by his roommate, Johnson admitted he had not asked permission to use the yacht because it was such a bother to find you. Faced with the bill for the lost yacht, Johnson's father complained to his friends that the cost of educating a young gentleman at Yale these days is ruinously expensive. His father was the serious son of a Scottish immigrant and took some pains to conceal the excesses of his offspring. In his letters, he repeatedly urged William to find a purpose in life. But William seemed content with his spoiled frivolity, and when he announced his intention to spend the coming summer in Europe, the prospect, said his father, fills me with direst fiscal dread. Thus his family was surprised when William Johnson abruptly decided to go west during the summer of 1876. Johnson never publicly explained why he had changed his mind. But those close to him at Yale knew the reason. He had decided to go west because of a bet. In his own words, from the journal he scrupulously kept, Every young man probably has an arch-rival at some point in his life. And in my first year at Yale, I had mine. Harold Hannibal Marlin was my own age, 18. He was handsome, athletic, well-spoken, soaking rich. And he was from New York, which he considered superior to Philadelphia in every respect. I found him insufferable. The sentiment was returned in kind. Marlin and I competed in every arena, in the classroom, on the playing field, in the undergraduate pranks of the night. Nothing would exist but that we would compete over it. We argued incessantly, always taking the opposing view from the other.
One night at dinner, he said that the future of America lay in the developing West. I said it didn't, that the future of our great nation could hardly rest on a vast desert populated by savage aboriginal tribes. He replied I didn't know what I was talking about, because I hadn't been there. This was a sore point. Marlin had actually been to the West, at least as far as Kansas City, where his brother lived, and he never failed to express his superiority in this matter of travel. I had never succeeded in neutralizing it. Going West is no shakes. Any fool can go, I said. But all fools haven't gone. At least you haven't. I've never had the least desire to go, I said. I'll tell you what I think, Hannibal Marlin replied, checking to see that the others were listening. I think you're...